The Hammer Podcast will not be heard this month. In its place, we give you the following special presentation. Hey everyone, before we get into the Legends of the Superhero episode that we have for you today, I would like to get into some feedback that I got on the last Legends of the Superheroes episode. Now, if you remember, that was my talking with Sean Engel about the Green Lantern movie starring Ryan Reynolds. Well, my first email comes from the irredeemable Shag. He writes, Hi, Gene and Sean. I really enjoy your Legends of the Superheroes episode discussing the Green Lantern film. As you mentioned, this is a very polarizing movie. Myself, I'm in the disgruntled category. I took notes during the show and wanted to share some alternative thoughts. This film's biggest crime was that it wasn't just a bad Green Lantern film. It was an unsatisfying film in general. There were some enjoyable scenes and fanboy nods, but as a whole, the story lets the viewer down. I don't know any muggles who saw this film and said it was great. You get a general meh from those folks. Casting Hal Jordan in the film was probably one of the problems. Jon Stewart was already in the public consciousness due to his popularity on Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, and merchandising. I'm sure kids went to see this film and were wondering, who is this Hal Jordan guy? You could have done the film with John and simply explained that he was the replacement GL instead of having to follow Hal's story. In regard to Ryan Reynolds, as you mentioned, he only felt like Hal in certain scenes. While the humor was fun, that felt more like bits written for Kyle Rayner, or specifically for Ryan Reynolds. I don't blame Reynolds, as he has a decent acting range. I put the fault on the script and the director. In regards to the romance, I actually think it had a place in the film. It humanizes Hal and addresses his womanizer character flaw. Giving Hal a human anchor to relate to makes all the crazy things with powers more impressive. I agree the costume was too busy. In general, the special effects were too busy throughout the entire film. The gigantic scenes with the core were sweeping and impressive, but due to the busy special effects, it was hard to take in and enjoy. Here is a comparison to explain my point. Compare these two film scenes. 1. Space Battle at the End of Return of the Jedi and 2. Space Battle at the Beginning of Revenge of the Sith. Both have lots of ships flying all over the place and exciting dogfight action. However, in Revenge of the Sith, there is so much on the screen it's very hard to follow, whereas Return of the Jedi controlled the amount on the screen and makes for a very enjoyable action scene. Same problem exists in the GL film. You are pleased with the narration at the beginning of the film. I hated it. The voice acting was fine, however the old adage of show me, don't tell me exists for a reason. So much exposition, right at the start of the film, with big cosmic concepts really set the tone to yuck. I completely agree that Hector Hammond was wasted. The actor did a great job with what he was given, but the film would have been better if he was the single big bad. The inclusion of Parallax was unnecessary and a misstep. In the comics, Parallax is one of two things. One, a nickname for Crazy Hal, or two, a convenient retcon plot device. Parallax is not a character, nor should it be the focus of a movie. Such a letdown. And yes, I suppose it was nice to see the FF2 cloud getting more work. Let me get this straight. Parallax slaughtered tons of Green Lanterns. Yet Hal beats Parallax with 15 minutes training, and then by doing what exactly? I think he just tried harder with his ring. Wow, why didn't those other GLs think of that? You're correct. This is where a training montage would have come in handy. 
Heck, maybe even have Sinestro teach Hal a Karate Kid-style crane move that he could use against Parallax at the end. No can do defense. While I also blame Jeff Johns for this awful movie, it's probably not fair to lay the blame solely on him. Warner Brothers is a huge multinational company with tons of people who probably provided input, or should have. Decision by committee either further messed up this film, or perhaps could have saved it. With hindsight, here are a few thoughts on how they could have improved the film. Less busy special effects. Spent less time with the core and more time telling an Earth-based Hal Jordan Green Lantern adventure story. Before we start tackling big cosmic issues, we need to learn to care about Hal as a character. Certainly, they should have introduced the core, but the first film should have been a Hal story. Save the big core-related stories for the sequel. Just my two cents. Perhaps it's about 50 cents worth, really. Thanks for the entertaining episode. I look forward to the next one. The Irredeemable Shag from the Fire and Water Podcast, the Who's Who Podcast, the Ultraverse Podcast Network, Who True Freaks, and he can be found at firestormfan.com. You know, I can't really argue with, with any of that. Again, it's the film is different things to different people. But I think one thing we can all agree on is that they shoved way too much stuff into this one movie. If they had picked something, whether it be the... GL core focus, the Earth-based adventure focus, whatever. Just pick a storyline and do that. This seemed like three movies just kind of smushed all into one. Thank you very much, Shag, for writing in. Our next email comes from Mr. Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast and the Power Records podcast. He writes, Hi, Gene. Just finished your look at the Green Lantern movie with Sean Engel. I come from the same place as you guys. It's not a bad movie. To me, it's a lot like the Wolfman remake from a year or so earlier. All the ingredients were there to make a truly fantastic film, but it just didn't quite come together. Personally, I think the movie is far too earthbound. Focusing on Hector Hammond was a huge mistake. That was another incident of John's influence, since he went out of his way in the early issues of his GL run to make Hammond a true threat. That deleted scene with young Hal, Hector, and Carol, at the very least, makes their relationship make more sense. In the theatrical cut, I feel like their relationship is too much out of left field to care about, and leaves the viewer wondering why we're spending time with this awkward guy. The scenes on Oa were great, but far too fleeting. Had Warner Brothers embased the more cosmic nature of the GL mythos, they may have had a Guardians of the Galaxy-level movie three years earlier. Nice call on Galactus' Parallax. I do admit they went to that well too quickly. I know Reynolds gets a lot of flack, but as you two said, I think he did well with what he was given. Mark Strong stole the show for me. Had they spent time really developing his and Hal's complex relationship, that scene at the end would have really sung. I still want to see the movie with Sinestro going rogue, but it ain't gonna happen. Great episode, Chris. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing. Shag wanted a more Earth-based adventure. Chris wanted a more galactic, cosmic adventure. Neither of them are wrong. It's just there was so much haphazard in this movie that the movie couldn't make up its mind what it wanted to do. In my opinion, personally, I would have liked to see Hal get the ring and him do a more Earth-based like the original Green Lantern adventures, before he found out he was a space cop, he did stuff on Earth. And that 
that would have given you a little more of a basis of him as a character rather than bang go right to this cosmic level entity and like shag said he beat him with 15 minutes of training so whatever our last email this time out, and this is very fortuitous because this is a gentleman who will be joining me on the show later on, is from Aaron Moss of the Head Speaks family podcast. He writes, Hey Gene, great episode. Overall, I liked the movie myself. Not great, but better than what co-workers were telling me. A few notes on this episode. I agree that the costume wasn't bad, it was just too busy. I liked the light-constructed look of it, but... It relied way too much on John's, I think. I didn't care much for Ryan Reynolds as Hal Jordan. Like I think Sean said, that when he was being GL, he wasn't bad. But as Hal Jordan, I thought he was too Ryan Reynolds for me. I thoroughly enjoyed Hector Hammond, and I agree that he was wasted in the movie. I didn't care for Parallax. Of course, to be honest, I never cared for the creature Parallax, as I feel he was created just to absolve Hal over the whole destruction of the core thing. I did like Sinestro in this movie. And like Eugene, I think you said it, I think that him becoming a Yellow Lantern was too forced. This is Gene. Uh, Actually, I think Sean said that. But whatever, I'll take the credit. Fine by me. I think they should have had him a little more disgruntled and a little more forceful, for lack of a better word. As for this movie not being great, I blame the writing and using Ryan Reynolds as Hal Jordan. Also, and finally, I don't care for the CWing of Amanda Waller. Until next time, make mine the Hammer Strikes podcast. Aaron Brotherhead Moss. Well, thank you very much, sir. Uh, Yeah, that's something, if you go and listen to Head Speaks, and I would highly recommend both that and his Task Force X podcast. But on Head Speaks, Aaron has gone into great detail about the CWing of Amanda Waller, and it is well worth your time to listen because, yeah, I, I agree with him wholeheartedly on this. Now, As we are talking about feedback, believe it or not, people, I actually have two iTunes reviews to go over. The first one is from Geekarino. Now, the gentleman that goes under that handle, he let me know who he was on Facebook, but is so far buried in the Two True Freaks thread that I couldn't find it, so I apologize. But he he gave me a five-star review. says, very eclectic podcast, every episode a gem. Only wish that came out more often. Well... Thank you very much for the five stars, and it ain't coming out more often. I just, I can't handle that. I have a life, believe it or not, so I can only do it so often. The next review comes from Professor Allen, he of the Relatively Geeky Network. And he also gave me a five-star review, and he says, If you want a variety of geeky subjects covered in one podcast feed, you have come to the right place. Comics, TV, fantasy, sci-fi. It is all here for your listening pleasure. And thank you very much, Professor Allen and Geekerino. I really appreciate the iTunes reviews. And if you would like to leave me an iTunes review, I would greatly appreciate that as well. But for right now, we will take a quick break and we will come back with Legends of the Superheroes. I have called you all here today at the behest of Don DiManzo to discuss the expansion of our Jersey territory. Our Don has seen an opportunity to move into Atlantic City at an event called AC Boardwalk Con, which will be happening May 14th 
through the 17th, 2015. Don DeMonzo has asked that some of our made men attend this convention and convince the locals to try two true freaks. Joining me, Gene Hendricks, on this trip will be my Quantum Cast cohort, Jeff Fishman. Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero, will be representing the Boston arm of the family, while Scott McGregor will be representing the New York branch. Our capo, Chris Honeywell, will also be there to provide some added persuasion. Your Don has asked that any of his loyal friends in the area come and pay their respects to this new endeavor. He reminds you that all the information on the event can be found at doacbc.com. That's doacbc.com. Come help us make Atlantic City an offer they can't refuse. Hello, sweetie. My name is Aaron Moss, a.k.a. Head. I love Star Wars, comic books, movies, reading, comedy, and most things geeky. Come join me monthly, well, mostly monthly, as I talk about the things I like and a few of the things I hate. Where you may ask, why I'm at Head Speaks. I can be found on iTunes under Head Speaks and at my website at headspeaks.com and then click on Headcasts. Also, you can find me on Facebook and Google+, both under Headspeaks. Come, take a listen. This podcast is not endorsed or affiliated by Kid and Play. Though, that would be cool, huh? I'll go ahead and let Kid and Play finish the promo out. Oh, hello. We didn't see you there. Welcome to Comic Book Fight Club. My name is Jif S. Fishman, Esquire. And I am Gene Theodore Hendricks. Here at Comic Book Fight Club, we sit fireside, sipping our brandy, and discussing who would win in a bout of fisticuffs with other members of the comic book Illuminati. Yes, you caught us at a good time as Kevin Smith, Stan Lee, and the late Bob Kane just went on a beer and nacho run. Have you ever wondered who would be victorious in a bout? Galactus or Unicron? How about the Incredible Hulk versus the Monster Doomsday? What about G.I. Joe versus the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Or the equally important bout of the Snorks? versus the Smurfs, and of course the Titanic duel between Archie and Jimmy Olsen. And you can expect the intelligent and erudite debates to sound something like this. But I always thought Transformers fans were intelligent and literate, so they should see that Galactus has to be the winner. Like, he's hungry. Oh, I'm so (laughs) hungry. 
I'm gonna get weaker, and 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 Reed Richards is gonna be able to beat me. I don't know anything about Rob other than uh, he was defeated by Parker Brothers. Oh, it's, I mean, back to, back to one of Sean's points, saying he got out of the out of the Silac. You know, every time he's gotten out of that in any story, he has to get put back in it because he's a bitch. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, ah, ah, ah. No! No! She, oh, I tap she, out! I tap out! You are a sick, out. sick man. Sir. I'm not familiar with the last one. I need. I might have to hit Google Image Search here. So won't you join us for some witty discourse, a fine snuff, and a tincture of sherry? as we debate over these all-important matters, here only on Comic Book Fight Club. You can find the show at twotruefreaks.com and on iTunes by searching for Comic Book Fight Club. Please also join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash comicbookfightclub. Legends of the Superheroes! For centuries, the world has been protected by a group of extraordinary men and women who have dedicated themselves to fighting crime. Greetings, and welcome to Legends of the Superheroes, a production of TheHammerStrikes.com. I'm your host, Gene Hendricks, and we will be talking about, yet again, the live-action version of one of your favorite comic book characters. Now, as you all know, I do never do this alone, so with me I have a very special guest this time, the uh, man behind Head Speaks and Task Force X, Brother Head himself, Mr. Aaron Moss. How are you, sir? Doing good, Gene. Doing good. Finally glad to actually talk with you. Well, not in person, you know, talking instead of just chatting back and forth through messages. <laughs> yeah, we, we keep sending each other instant messages or emails about each other's shows, and now we actually yeah. get to have a conversation for once. That's always a good thing. All right, and we're going to be doing something uh, a little more off the beaten path than the traditional superhero kind of thing. We're going to be talking about 1994's movie The Crow, starring the late Brandon Lee. Now, this is a movie that I do not have any reference as far as the source material for. I've seen the movie. Uh, this was the first time in about 20 years I've seen the movie, but I've seen the movie. I have never read any of the comics. Have you read any of the comics? I want to say I read the original comic. A buddy of mine had it. And we, in fact, we met uh, Mr. Obar back at the Comic-Con back in, oh, geez, what was it, 98, 99? Oh, okay. And my, yeah, my friend had the actual comic, and he got it signed by uh, Mr. Bar, Obar, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, very nice. So, yeah, so he, you know, he's big on a lot of the, you know, the crow and stuff like that. So he let me read his, and I got me in Sin City, and... Some more of the off-beaten stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's so, yeah. It's um, it's a. I don't. I don't want to bring the the movie to its most simplest form, but it's basically a revenge movie. It's yes. the hero was wronged. In in this case, he and his fiance were actually killed, and he his spirit, body, whatever, comes back to take revenge on the people that killed them. So, you know, fairly straightforward stuff, and it's the son of Bruce Lee, so you got to expect there's a lot of action involved here, and it's all done very well, in my opinion. Oh, yes, I agree 100% on that one. Yeah, it's, it's funny, because my wife watched it with me, and she was said, at one point, he's on it, he drops to his back, 
kicks a guy out a window, then jumps back up. And she said, wow, that's a pretty cool move. I said, he's Bruce Lee's son. What do you expect? Yeah, you have to wonder how much expectations was put on him because of who his father is. Right. And un- as everyone knows, this was unfortunately his last movie because of a freak accident with a uh, a prop gun. And I won't get into that, but it's it's obvious that if he had continued on, I think he would have... He probably wouldn't have surpassed his dad, but he would probably at least equaled him in action movies. Very well have. Yeah, so it's it's a shame, but you know, such is life. Yeah. Now, for anyone not familiar with this, the the basic premise behind it, you know, beyond the revenge flick, is that, and the reason for the title, is that uh, crows are said to take the spirits of the dead to the afterlife. And once in a very great while, when that spirit cannot rest, the crow will bring that spirit back to finish whatever needs to be finished. And that's what happens here to the character of Eric Draven, who played by Brandon Lee. And he comes back a year after he has been killed, and he has an interesting array of superpowers. Now, he doesn't have flight or super speed or any of that. He has, like, a Wolverine healing factor... And he can see, like in Beastmaster, he can see through the eyes of the crow. So he knows what's going on around him. And he has some type of touch telepathy, where he can touch somebody and read their memories. And I wasn't entirely sure if it was only memories that pertain to him or anything, but it's a way for the movie to get in, get in and do flashbacks. Which I think was done pretty well, the way they handled that. The When he first comes back, he had the whole flashback of his fiancée getting raped and murdered and him getting murdered. And right. that may have gone on a little too long, but the rest of them throughout the movie, like he touches uh, Ernie Hudson's character, yes, the guy from Ghostbusters, <laughs> who plays a police sergeant, and he he then sees what went on in the hospital with his girlfriend in the operating room, basically, and how she was fighting for life and everything. So it's a, it's an interesting storytelling way to get that backstory in there without really taking too much away from the action. But right. those, those were in the only, like, those were the only superpowers I saw in there. You know, beyond the obvious Bruce well, Lee martial arts. You were talking about how he get his memories. He can also you can tell he absorbs memory from other because. To spoil to the very end, we do see that he has, as you mentioned, all of uh, Shelley's memories when she was dying in the hospital, which links to another power he has, uh, kind of like Ghost Rider. That's exactly he what can... I thought. It was it was like a penance stare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he made the bad guy, you know, fill everything. Even though I don't think Top Dollar was actually involved with her death, per, you know, directly there, he still you know, he still held him accountable and all that, and he was able to make uh, top dollar fill everything so yeah he basically I mean, that... he made him feel shelly's 30 hours of pain while fighting for yes. her life in a second yes i thought that was really and again yeah i thought that very much ghostwriter oh yeah with his pen and stare yeah it's interesting this this film it kind of reminded me between the the supernatural aspects of a ghostwriter story not so much the nicholas cage film but you know a ghostwriter story and right. RoboCop. 
because he's coming back. Yeah. He's kind of remembering his old life, and then he's taking re- revenge using his new powers on the guys that killed him. Yeah, I didn't think of that until you mentioned it, but yeah, you're right. That is very, very cross between the two. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting movie. I if you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. It's not necessarily for everyone, but I right. I enjoyed it. It's it's not like we were talking before the show. It's not one of those movies you got to pull out every year and watch. But it's a good one to see. I I had a good time, but then I don't know what it is. It seems like every movie I review on this, I find something positive to say about whether whether it pe- other people think it's good or not. <laughs> So maybe well, maybe, I mean, maybe take my advice with a grain of salt. <laughs> well, like I, say, I always say, you know, taste is subjective. So I mean, just because you know me and you may like, you know, the next guy may not like it. So that's just yeah part of life. Now there were a couple things in here I wasn't all that fond of, and the main thing was the lighting. Now I realize that the majority of the movie takes place at night, but I would still like to see what the hell's going on. And it could be that... it could just be the 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 version I watched, which was on Netflix, but it was very very dark. And... It was very dark, and I've got it on both DVD and Blu-ray. I had it on DVD, and then I was one day, forgot I had and I saw it on sale for the Blu-ray, so I picked it up also. So I watched the Blu-ray version yesterday. My wife's over there giving me the thumbs up, agreeing with you that she thinks she thought it was very dark also. Yeah. Darker than it could have needed to be. Yeah, if they, if they had just, you know, put a few more lights in there. Now, I know the mood they were trying to go for, but... There's mood, and then there's confusing your audience. And right. I think they went a little too far towards the confusion end of things. It wasn't, you know, I I understand what they're going for. And it doesn't hurt the movie so much, because you still get the story, you still get what's going on. But, on the other side of that, if you notice, the only places that are actually well lit are the police station, and... Right. Uh, I can't remember his name. Ernie Hudson's character, his apartment. Yeah, I can't remember his name either. In my notes, I'll always refer to Ernie Hudson. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's who he's... <laughs> Winston. <laughs> yeah, him too. <laughs> but I see the darkness didn't bother me. Like I said, I don't want darkness and all the superheroes and what have you. This one here, it didn't really bother me. I, I thought it helped set the mood. And seeing how the original comic was in black and white, I don't know if it was the darkness was kind of helped the remind you of that mm. or you know but yeah. it kind of me to kind of seem to help throw back to the comic a little bit huh you know i'm wondering if it, if the movie might have been helped if it was filmed in black and white kind of like uh sin city yeah yeah it might it might Possibly. have actually helped the mood more that way rather than just taking yeah. a color movie and making it dark huh N- didn't think about that well, i see yeah, it's straight from the original comic of course but uh because if I remember right, they were killed by a carjacking. Okay. Instead of someone breaking into their apartment. But the same characters were involved, if I remember right. Again, it's been many years since I've actually read the comic. I brought it from a friend of mine. But if I remember right, yeah, they were killed in a carjacking. But the same basic essence were there. Eric and his fiance was killed, and the crow brought him back to avenge their deaths, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, in the comic, you probably don't remember, but did this... Did it continually follow Eric, or was were there multiple characters that were brought back? Was it like a, uh, a House well, of Mysteries thing? Well, I believe the original story was Eric Draven, but then they've had they had a couple different stories, and they had a, a short. Uh, and I haven't read any of those. I know they had a short miniseries or something, 
So they may have followed different characters. I'm not entirely sure on that. All I read was the original Crow series, which what the movie was more or less based on. Right, and this movie is entirely Eric's story from beginning to end. And yes. it the way it leaves it is he's in a good place. And then you would think that any sequels would have been a different character. Because there's no reason for him to come back again. Right, because he's he's completed what he needed to do. He's avenged his and his fiancée's death. So he's happy, if you will. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, though, just be... The way my mind works is I am I'm basically stuck in the eighties, and that goes you 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 look at my comic preferences, my music preferences, and all that. I'm stuck in the eighties, so I'm watching this, and your wife's gonna kill me now. But I <laughs> I actually have a note. There's there's no good music in this movie. <laughs> Just because for me, I'm listening. And I'm like garbage. Garbage, garbage, noise, garbage. <laughs> but then again, my two favorite bands are Queen and Huey Lewis in the News. So there you go. Like I'm, I'm also stuck in the '80s. I, you know, most of my preferences come from the '80s. I like old school rap from the late '70s, early '80s. So I'm kind of with you. But like I said the music didn't. It wasn't my music. Mm -hmm. I didn't mind it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. My wife's over there saying it, it was the instrumental she liked. The uh, the score of it. But, okay, well, that I'll agree with her with. <laughs> yeah, not so much the music, but yeah, the, the score. Score good, soundtrack, nah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, now we're all in agreement. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, this, this movie came out in 94, but looking at the production design, it seems like it's probably based earlier than that, because if you look at the cars or the TVs or any of any of that kind of thing, it kind of looks like late 80s, maybe, very, like, maybe 1990. It doesn't look much past that. So, right, well, so it came out in 94, but I'm not sure when it was actually produced, because they probably may have held on to it a little bit because of... No, it, it was filmed in 93, oh, okay. actually. Uh, but looking at, you know, the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia... Right. The, the the original comic came out in '89, so if they're okay. if they're using the comics art as a basis, that would explain right. the film's production design because they you want to make it look like that. So that would make it like in a late '80s looking movie. Yeah, the the one person had you know the the uh, grungy shirt and the the shaved head was very. My wife was telling me a very Nirvana, very mm. grunge movement. Yeah, which I, if I'm not mistaken was late '80s, early '90s, if I'm not mistaken. I have Again, no idea. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't into that. I I, mem I vaguely remember the grunge movement, but yeah, it wasn't. Again, not my cup of tea. Right. <laughs> it's funny though because when he finally gets his makeup on and is wearing the the black costume and everything, <laughs> the first right. time he shows up, I just wrote a note to myself: "I am Gothman," <laughs> because that's yeah, what he I looks like. He was, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I kind of thought he was kind of reminiscent of the Joker a little bit. A little bit, yeah. And but the look, attitude. But it's unfortunately he's always linked to the wrestler Sting for me because after this movie yeah. became very popular, that wrestler changed his makeup look to match this. So oh, did he? See, I, I, yeah, 
I wasn't into wrestling at that time, but I do remember seeing, now that you mention it, seeing Sting look like that. I didn't realize that this is where he got the idea from. I don't know if this is exactly where he got the idea from, but he, you know, he went from having all this colorful makeup like the Ultimate Warrior right. to going to a white face with black around the eyes and elongated black mouth and everything. So it just, whether he took inspiration from this specifically or not, this always reminds me of it. Oh, definitely. It's just weird, you know, watch, watching this movie now after seeing that, it's, it actually works with with the action moves and everything. I can see him being a wrestler. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. Oh, there is one uh, superpower I forgot to mention. At one point, there's the character of, I believe her name is Darla, who is the mother of a little girl named Sarah. Right. And she's a drug yeah. addict. And he finds her with one of the guys he's going to kill. And he actually pulls the morphine completely out of her system and gets her clean. Okay, that, okay. see, I, I missed that. Mm-hmm. I knew he was doing something, but I couldn't quite tell. Besides giving her a little pep talk and, you know, you got a little girl at home you need to take care of. Yeah, it's, Which I really like that interaction there. Yeah, it's a blink and you miss it kind of thing. But he's actually rubbing her arm where she shot up. And you can right. see white liquid come out of the holes. The, the, uh, and see, not knowing about drugs, I wasn't sure if that was just, she'd just done that was just some remnant that was leaking out, mm-hmm. or if, what was going on there. Yeah. So that, that does make sense. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure where that all fits into this. Maybe it's something from the comics and we don't know. But right. it, it was interesting because he had the connection with Sarah, the little girl. Because Shelly and Eric took care of her while her mother was off being drugged up. Right. So he's trying to get her back into a good situation by helping her mother out. And you see that later on, that her mother is starting to make her breakfast, and she's home and happy and everything. And that so it leaves her... Basically, everyone that's good, except for maybe Ernie Hudson, because you don't see what happens to him it leaves right. everyone in a better place than at the beginning of the movie. Yes, most definitely. And, I mean, yeah, you could assume that maybe Ernie went on to better things, but, yeah, that's, that's the one character that you don't really know what happens to him afterwards. Right. And he's one of the guys that he's he's a good cop, but he's not exactly into the whole chain of command. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so a rogue good cop, if you will. Yeah, basically, it's it's like the opposite of Dirty Harry. Yeah. You know, because you have the the one detective that's shown, and he's a complete prick. Yes, very much so. And Ernie Hudson, you find out, used to be a detective, but because he stuck his nose in where it didn't belong, they busted him back down to patrolman. He's still a sergeant, so he's still decent as far as the pay goes, but he's not a detective anymore. Right, he doesn't have the... doesn't have the the gravitas, whatever, of being a detective now. He's... Yeah, and, and then pushed back. And he can't run his own investigations. He has to answer to this schmuck. Right. <laughs> and I, one, that's one thing I really loved, you know, Ernie Hudson showing up as the cop, and I also loved his his interaction with his uh, superior officer, if you will. Oh, yeah. The detective. I thought that, you know, because, again, yeah, the, the detective, again, I can't remember his name, thought he knew everything, was trying to take control of the situation, and Ernie's like, how's that working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> And like you were saying, yeah, Ernie just, you know, he didn't didn't care about the, the chain of command. He was doing the the right thing. Right. 
Yeah, like no matter what it cost him. Like you find out that he was at the crime scene at the beginning of the movie where uh, Eric and Shelley were killed, and right. he followed Shelley to the hospital, and he was with her the entire thirty hours until she right. finally gave up the ghost. In to use a turn of phrase, but <laughs> he he tries to play it off as like, oh yeah, I was trying to get information, but you know, he was there because he felt bad. And that, oh yeah, no, he, he was a good cop. I mean, you can tell, or a good detective, or whatever he was. You can tell that he was, you know, he's got a heart of gold, if you will. Yeah, and he's also a smart cop. And unlike a lot of these yep. stories, he figures out who the vigilante is pretty damn quick. Yes. And that's that's not the normal thing. Normally, it's oh, it's the vigilante. Yes, I I worked on that crime scene, but I don't remember anything about the case. <laughs> therefore, I can't put one and two together. See, one thing I'm not quite sure of was, did he not tell his the detective who was behind it because he was trying to protect Eric? Or was it because he was afraid that the detective wouldn't believe him that, you know, it's a dead guy from a year ago? I think it was a, a little bit of both, really. He, he knew Eric had to do something, so he was right. going to help him as much as he could. But he also, also knew that this detective was just looking for a, another reason to get him off the force and saying, right. yeah, I'm teamed up with this uh, dead guy who's going around looking like the mime from hell, to use you know, yeah. Ernie Hudson's line. After that, he probably, he probably wouldn't be a sergeant after that. Right, yeah, he like <laughs> like the one the other cop said, he would be on uh, school bus duty. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, but I find it interesting that he did wrap it up at the end because the detective's looking for this vigilante who's picking off, you know, the scum of the earth, basically. Right. But at the end, top dollars up on the top of the church, impaled on a gargoyle, and Ernie Hudson says, oh yeah, your vigilante's up there. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that. So now, the detective's not going to look into it any further, the big crime boss is taken out, and everyone's happy. It's all wrapped up with a pretty bow. Yes. Oh, and top dollar, the big crime boss, is uh, being played by, and let me get the actor's actual name up, uh, Michael Wincott, who most people will remember as Sir Guy of Gisborne, the sheriff's cousin from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, I, I know he looks familiar. I'm sitting there, I know he looks familiar, but I just couldn't place him. Yeah, he also played uh, Rochefort in the Disney Three Musketeers the in 1993. I don't remember that one offhand. That's, but... uh, that's the one with Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland and Oliver oh, Platt okay. and uh, Chris O'Donnell as D'Artagnan. Yeah, okay, yes. I, okay, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Yes. So he he was the ex-musketeer in that. <laughs> so he, he's been playing a lot of medieval kind of villains in the in these few years, because Robin Hood was 91, Three Musketeers was 93, and then here he's like the guy from Three Musketeers if he was immortal from Highlander. Because <laughs> it's basically the same kind of character, and he's got a hidden vault of swords. Well, it's funny you mentioned that's one thing I thought when they were, him and Eric was batting on the roof and he brings out the sword. I thought it was a very Highlander. Yeah, there can be only one. <laughs> I was waiting for him to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he pulled the sword. I'm like, in fact, I wrote in my notes that uh, I liked when Top Dollar went Highlander on Eric. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I I noticed how Eric kept marking everything. You know, all the all the times that he actually killed somebody, he marked it with an outline of a crow. Right. And at the one point where he kills T-Bird, 
he does it, but it's in lighter fluid, so it's big a big flaming crow. And my note says, well, now we know where the flaming DD came from in Daredevil. Well, it's funny. As my uh, 21-year-old son was sitting here watching part of it with me, and when that scene came on, he looked at me he's like, hey, Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if they took it from this or if this came from somewhere else, but, yes, yeah, you can very much see, because, I mean, this wasn't a small movie. Everyone heard of it, especially with uh, Brandon's passing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that they got some inspiration for that Daredevil scene from this. But, uh, yeah, and we, you t- mentioned the, uh, Sarah, the little girl earlier. Yes. Normally I don't care for little kids when they show up in movies like this, <laughs> but I, I liked her in that. I thought she worked out very good in it. Yeah, she was She was not the wide-eyed innocent because she was living on the street. She had a drug addict for her mother. So she, she was kind of street-wise, but she had a nice sense of humor about her. Which, yeah. Especially because Ernie Hudson's character, uh, Sergeant Albrecht, just looked it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> he takes kind of takes a, a liking to her, tries to watch out for her, so he buys her a hot dog, and they have a nice little back and forth there. So it's right. it's pretty good, and that comes back later on in the movie because she helps him after he's been shot, and it's, it works out really nicely. Yeah, like I say, usually when they put a character in the movie, it's you know. Uh, appeal to the younger audience and it just it feels forced usually but yeah like we were both saying yeah she worked out very good yeah she came back to the end and kind of brought it full circle yeah it's it it's a nice through line with that i think because it it's another thing for it's something for eric to do that isn't killing guys you know it's to take care of sarah or to talk to Ernie Hudson. I'm going to keep calling him Ernie Hudson. I don't care if I yeah. know his character's name. Yeah, I looked at his character name a couple times while I was watching. I, yeah, I still refer to him as Ernie. <laughs> That's all right. Well, my wife was saying, you know, it kind of gives give Eric a, a human element to the story also. Yeah. And you can tell, even though he's this tortured soul, come back for revenge, he's still a smart aleck. Oh, yeah, very much so. Because in the apartment, Ernie said, oh, are you going to disappear into the thin air? Said, no, I was going to use your front door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I very much enjoyed Eric's uh, personality, his his witty sarcasm, if you will. I really like that. Another thing, when uh, for Eric killed Tintin when he was jumping around the roofs, mm. well, I was like, hey, it's parkour before his parkour. Yeah, really. <laughs> like, I'm sure what exactly. I tried to look at Wikipedia, but I couldn't find a definite answer when it became pretty with a quick search. But, but yes, it was very parkour of. Brandon, I'm sure he did all that himself. Oh, yeah. With his father being who his father is. <laughs> well, from what I read, basically the entire movie was done except for like three scenes when he was when he was killed. Yeah, so, that's what I heard. So it's you know only a couple of things that he was not actually involved in. And for those of you out there that are thinking, like, I'm pretty sure a lot of people did. Oh, I'm going to watch the movie, see if I can find the scene where he gets killed. It ain't in there. The film, they were filming when he was killed, when he was shot with this gun. But that was only developed to be used in the investigation, and then it was destroyed. So it is actually not part of this movie. Okay, yeah, see, because I'd read on, I think it was Wikipedia, that it said that, I think it was the scene where they shoot Eric at the beginning was the scene where he died. Yes. So I wasn't sure if, if, yeah, and I'm sure they wouldn't actually use that footage. Yeah, they had to reshoot that with a, a double. Oh, is that, how, is that what happened? Okay. Yeah, 
Yeah, so that was one of the last scenes to be shot. So right. that scene, the scene where he's actually falling out of the window when he's being killed, and the scene right. where he goes back to the apartment after coming up out of the grave, were all done with a double, but they digitally composited Brandon Lee's face on them. Okay. So, like, when he's putting the makeup on, it's a another guy actually physically putting the makeup on, but you see Brandon Lee's face in the smashed mirror. Right. So they worked around it, but everything else is Brandon Lee in the movie. Yeah, that's what I've heard before. I remember, like I was working at Target when this came out, and I remember me and some of the guys talking about about Brandon Lee dying during this, and I remember reading at the time that, yeah, he was mostly done with the filming, and there was only like two or three scenes left. And they either used stunt doubles or, as you're saying, computer graphics to mm-hmm. simulate Eric. Or, I'm sorry, Brandon. Yeah. Get too mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> and they also, what I find interesting in this movie is the way he kills everybody. It's, and this just occurred to me right now, it's very much like the Spectre from DC Comics. And any, yeah. anyone not familiar with the Spectre is he always does something kind of ironic with the way yes. the way he kills people. So like in this, the guy that is super into his car is blown up in his car. The guy that's into drugs is OD'd with several drugs. The guy that's really into knives, and this is the fun one, <laughs> is stabbed with his own knives in every major organ in alphabetical order. Oh see I I didn't catch that part. I, I saw him being stabbed, but I didn't realize it was an alphabetical order yeah the one the one coroner comes in later on and he says yeah look at this guy he's a voodoo doll he was stabbed in every major organ in alphabetical order okay yeah i missed that part of the line then (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we we got some karma coming on here and it's not actually limited to eric's character because there's this weird weird woman who is top dollars half sister slash lover yeah, which yeah, is, oh boy, strange. yeah, it's a strange, strange movie. But she realizes that the crow that follows Eric around is actually the source of his power. So she yes. manages after the crow gets winged, for lack of a better term, with a bullet. She grabs it and she's going to take that power for herself. Right. Well, earlier in the movie, she was carving out people's eyes with a dagger. So the crow yeah. turns around and pecks her eyes out. Hello, karma. <laughs> well, again, you were saying, you know, separate from the, from uh, Eric. At that point, I mean, Eric and the crow were, well, not the same. They are linked. So, I mean. Yeah, it's very Beastmaster. Yeah. He can feel the crow's pain. The crow feels his pain. But once the crow's injured, he he loses all his supernatural ability. So he's just a guy oh, yeah. again. Well, like when uh, the crow got shot, like top I like that part there where Top Dollar's like, ka-ka, bang-bang, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> I really love that. that yeah. Well, he did a great job. Michael Wincott did a, a wonderful job as the villain in this movie. I think he was he was given free reign to go over the top, and he, he took every, every availability to do that. Yes, and sometimes when they go over the top, it can come off cheesy and bad, but in this case, I thought he, he was over the top, but in a very comic booky in a good way. Yeah, yeah, it, he was, I think he might have been channeling Jack Nicholson's Joker. Very very much possibly. Once again, more Joker reference. Yes. And then like all 
superhero movies from the time, someone had, the bad guy had to fall off a building and, and fall to his death. Yes, and this is actually not even superhero movies, just action movies at the time. Yeah, They're basically, it, it was a lot of sudden stops at the end kind of deaths. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it seemed like every action movie from, you know, late 80s, 90s, the, the main bad guy had to fall off of something. Yeah. That, that had to be their downfall, if you will. And in this case, he fell off the top of a church, which yes. was actually using gargoyles for their original purpose, which was as drain spouts. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and what's funny is he he manages to land on one, impaling himself, and then his blood runs into the gutter, and it comes out the gargoyle's mouth. Very, very nice shot on there. Very nice. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I didn't realize that was the original intents for gargoyles. <laughs> original use for gargoyles. <laughs> original intent for gargoyles was for drainage, but yes, it worked out very well. Uh, another thing I when we I was watching I noticed when when Gideon the uh, pawnbroker yes when uh, Eric you know poured gasoline and let and left and shot the shotgun full of rings and what have you into the building and it blew up I don't know if it would have blown up quite so spectacularly <laughs> but it was awesome oh yeah that's it was cool as hell my note was <laughs> what was in that shop <laughs> <laughs> he he had a stash of C four in the basement or something. Maybe. And I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, I just, that's one thing I thought when it's exploding. I'm like, you know, he just poured a little bit of gasoline around the counter and shot it with a shotgun full of rings. I, I don't know if it would explode that way, but I'm really liking the way it looks. So I guess I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's special effects. I mean, it, yes. it's fun. That's all that matters. Yeah, pretty much. Another note I've got here is that uh, we were talking about, you know, uh, Eric's sarcasm and his wittiness, whatever. I like when the cops show up. After the battle at Top Dollars, mm-hmm. and they tell Eric if he moves, they're going to shoot. And he kind of skips to the side. Yeah, like dances off. <laughs> yes, I like that. I thought that was very, you know, witty and very sarcastic, if you will. And I was just telling my wife earlier, one of my favorite lines from the movie is uh, Ernie Hudson when he's like, "There's so many cops, you think they're giving away free donuts?" <laughs> yeah, that was one of the one of the things I had issue with at the very beginning of the movie. Because the way the movie is set up is it starts on Devil's Night, or where I'm from, it's called Mischief Night, which is the day before Halloween. And the city's burning. There's arson everywhere. And that's all Top Dollar's plan, is that's what he's done every year for however many years, is they've set fires and explosions and stuff. So you have this one murder, which, a murder, attempted murder at the time, because Shelley's still breathing. And you've got, like, 50 cops. Where's the rest of them? <laughs> shouldn't, they yeah. be, shouldn't they be out, maybe, I don't know, saving people from fires, explosions, <laughs> keeping... So this keep, is true. But, you know, that's that's just me. It just you, you have the cops here tripping over each other in the apartment when... For the, one murder. Yeah, the city's in chaos, guys. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need quite so many cops for one murder well, yeah, when you've got all this other mayhem going on. But then again, maybe it's... I'm not sure how long that's been going on as a tradition, so maybe they're just used to it at this point. So, eh, see you burn on the night before. We'll fix it the next day. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Top Dollar did mention that it's gotten... They've gotten so used to it that they now have Devil's Night greeting cards. Right, yeah, yeah I forgot about that. Yeah, you're correct. So it's it's been going on for a good number of years, I would think. So yeah, I think that's... Part of what is just the cops, you know, at that point, you're like, you know what's going to happen? We can't stop. We've tried. 
why why bother about the, you know the city burning down? We'll just fix it up, clean it up tomorrow. Yeah. And when I was like, well, maybe they throw up a bat symbol, it wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this case, it will be a crow symbol. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, that's uh, it. Ernie Hudson becomes the commissioner of police. That's how. That's how it ends. <laughs> there you go. Since they didn't tell us, that sounds good to me. <laughs> there. He's in a good place. We're good. We're fine. <laughs> and I know they did a couple of sequels to the movie. They did a TV show. I, I don't know if any of these characters came back. I didn't really... I watched part of the second one, and I just wasn't into it. And then a buddy of mine said he saw the third one, and he thought it was horrible, and the series was just bad. Okay, uh, you see, this is all I've ever seen of it. I, I haven't seen any of the sequels, the TV show, whatever. I've just yeah. seen this one movie, and that was it. So, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you anything about the rest. I just know that there was a couple of sequels. There was a TV series. And like I, said, I watched part of the second, but it just wasn't... I just couldn't get into it at the time. I don't remember if there was too much going on or what. But And then a buddy of mine said he'd watched them, and they were all not worthy of the crow, if you will. Okay. So take what you will out of that. <laughs> well, it's it's the same kind of thing where you have the one movie which is fairly decent, it's very well loved, and people try and cash in on it, and it's not all that great. Yeah. It it happens way too often, especially with comic book properties. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that one. Well, you say, I mean, yeah, usually most of the time the sequels aren't as good. I mean, there are a few exceptions. Like, I thought X2 was better than the first X-Men. Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah. But then they had X-Men. Well, the, you have a <laughs> tendency of stuff like Spider-Man 2, I thought was better than the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. And then that's Spider-Man 3. Yeah. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. Yes, yes. <laughs> Although I am one of the guys that does like Batman Forever. Not so much Batman Robin. So. Okay, I'm going to have to hang up now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I liked it when it first came out, and then rewatchings, I'm like, what, what the hell is this? Well, I can do without Tommy Lee and his... Tommy Lee Jones and his painted on teeth on the side of his face, but I thought Tommy Lee Jones when they announced him as Two Face, I'm like, oh, he's perfect. He he looks like Harvey Dent to me. Yeah, but part of my problem with that movie is it seems like they were both trying to top Jack Nicholson's Joker. Yeah, well, I can see the Riddler because he Jim Carrey is Jim Carrey. You, you can't really do right. too much with him, but I can see him going back to like the Frank Gorshin Riddler. Who was kind of right. goofy? Yeah, but Tommy Lee Jones. He he was not playing Two Face. He was playing Caesar Romero. Yes, very much so. I, I think that movie could have been a whole lot better. Yeah, if they would have toned Riddler down a little bit. But then again, as you said, it's Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey's going to be Jim Carrey. Yeah, that's why they hired him. They hired him to be yeah. Jim Carrey, and that was it. But if they would have toned down a uh, Two Face, so he's more of a Two Face character instead of you know the maniacal. Yeah, if if tackling as you said, Caesar Romero. Yeah, if he had been the serious one, yes, then I I could have bought it a little better. But yeah, it's it has its flaws. I still enjoy it. But this is not a Batman Forever podcast. We may no, have to do say, that another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're starting to wander off a little bit. But yeah, I, I agree. You've listened to my shows. You know that topics yes. tend to wander on here. Yes, yes. No, I, I know that. I was waiting when this was going to wander away from the crow, and here we are. Yes. 40 minutes <laughs> in, there you go. <laughs> but yes, I, I agree 100% there. <laughs> well, one of the things I did like is because when I... I don't... I didn't remember too much about the movie itself, and I don't know how closely I watched it originally. Right. But 
the iconic look is him all in black with a painted, essentially mime face. Right. And I didn't remember how he got that. The fact that it was from a mask that his fiance had sitting on the mirror in their apartment made sense. It's like, okay, I got to cover myself up somehow. That's great. I'll use that. And then he puts the makeup on, which luckily this is super waterproof makeup because the it's raining the entire movie and not one little bit ran on that makeup. Right. Yeah. No, that was, yeah, I don't know where you got the makeup from, but yeah, it was very, very waterproof. Yeah. It's latex makeup or something. Yeah. So that's one thing you're saying, you know, you remember watching, you don't remember a lot of the details. I always seem to remember this being a shorter movie for some reason, but I'm, I'm watching, you know, it's like an hour and 40, I want to say it's like an hour and 47 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, I don't remember it being it that long and it's not a bad thing. It's just, yeah, I, I remember, most of the scenes condensed, and I just seem to remember being a shorter movie, but... Yeah, that happened to me because, and this, we're completely off topic here, but I had the same kind of thing with Snow White, the cartoon Snow White. Yeah. Because yeah. I saw it when I was little, it was actually a drive-in, we saw it, oh. and I remembered it being, like, 15 minutes. Well, see, the question at this point is how many... Listeners actually remember drive-ins. I've <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually got one relatively nearby, a couple of towns away. There's a drive-in that's still open. Yeah, there's one around here. It's like uh, an hour and a half south of me, but yeah, that, it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I don't go to live sporting events or anything. I have an HD TV at home. Why do I need to leave the house? Yeah, yeah. So I went to a, a Chicago Bears game up in uh, when they were in uh, Oakland once. Other than that, yeah, most of my sporting events, I you know, if I do watch, it's on TV. Yeah, because there's no line for the bathroom. <laughs> this is true. You can pause, and you can go, yep. come back, and you haven't missed anything. Oh, I love my DVR. Oh, yeah. Back, I, most, I don't... Again, string further off topic, yes. I, we DVR most of our shows and watch them. So when I have to watch something live and I have to watch the commercial... Oh, yeah. My, uh, live TV, I hate this. <laughs> Oh, it's funny when even when we watch a TV show on Hulu, I'll I'll reach for the remote to try and fast forward the commercial. I'm like, oh wait, <laughs> I can't hear. Yeah. Even yeah, that's a little spoiled. Yeah. Even when I know it's on Hulu, and I know I did this ten minutes ago for the last commercial, I still reach for the remote. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think DVR's got us a little spoiled on that. Oh but. yeah. Well, it's it's like our kids are not going to know a time growing up where they can't just pause their show and go to the bathroom. Or, oh, I, I want to watch this show now. Yes. Yeah, my daughter, as I told you, if you talked about, I got a six-year-old daughter. She'll be seven here in another month. She, you know, I want to watch this show. Well, it's not on right now. We don't have it on DVR. So, yeah, you can't. You have to wait till it comes on. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, when something's not on. Yeah, it's like you had to wait all week to watch Saturday morning cartoons. And if you, no. if you missed it, like the way it was in my house, it was me and my sister and we alternated. This is my half hour. This is your half hour. So if it was, if you wanted to watch something that was on her half hour, tough luck. You never yeah, done see no. it. <laughs> yeah. When I was younger, I had a younger brother and yeah, we didn't quite have that problem. I mean, we watched both cause you know, again, we're both boys, right. but we watched most of the same things. So that wasn't too big of a problem for us. But still, if you don't see it that week, 
you hope it comes around like in the summer reruns, but that's yeah. it. You don't have another chance. Whereas, yeah, now if you miss a show, you can find it online somewhere. Oh yeah, we missed. It was the I think the first two episodes of Agent Carter. For some reason, it did not record on our DVR. Well, I hate that. The next day, it's on Hulu. It's like, oh, okay, oh, yeah, we watch it here. <laughs> Didn't miss oh, a my, thing. My, my wife just said that's first world problems right there. <laughs> and I, oh, I, I, I'm a happy first world citizen. Thank you very much. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If I miss a show or it gets deleted or whatever, my it's not a big deal. I'll find it online somewhere and watch it. Yeah. But yeah, like I see, yeah, we my me and my wife got my daughter. You know, my daughter is DVRing uh, Jim and the Holograms, uh, mm. the GI Joe cartoon. Uh, she's a big fan of the old Batman '60s cartoon or a TV show. Oh yeah. Well, do you have Me TV out there? No, I don't think we have that one. Okay, because we it's it's a broadcast station. We we have. I have it. heard of it. Yeah, so every Saturday night they run the Adventures of Superman with George Reeves, Batman oh. with Adam West, Wonder Woman with Linda Carter, Star Trek, Lost in Space, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and uh, Sven Gulli, a guy out of Chicago, does an old horror movie every Saturday night. You haven't heard of the Sven Gulli one, and then who cares about Star Trek? <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting some interference here. <laughs> sorry, I just had to throw that one out there. <laughs> yeah, but they call it Superhero Saturday Night, and it's it's great. Right on. Yeah, but I mean, we're, we've been watching the George Reeves show, and it just so happens that it when we started recording it, it started at episode one, season one. So we're watching oh, we... George Reeves in order through, and then we're watching Adam West and Wonder Woman and... She loves it. It's great. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got the I've got the Wonder Woman on DVD. My daughter lo- loves that. Uh, like I say every once in a while, be- the Batman series will be on uh, the Independent Film Network or uh, some other channel, mm-hmm. and so I'll record them on the DVR for because she really loves the old sixties. I can't get her really to sit down and watch any of the other Batman shows. Yeah, but she loves the sixties Batman. Well, I mean, it's it was ma- it was targeted at kids, even though right. the adults get some humor out of it. That. But, you know, you want to hear more about that, you listen to my other Legends of the Superhero show on Batman. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're we're way, way off topic. Yeah, we, I think we strayed a little bit again. Um, But back to The, the Crow. Yes. You, you remember that movie, with The Crow? <laughs> I Before we finish up, I, I, I did like the scene at the very end when uh, Eric and Shelley are reunited. Yes, that that was a very like, touching scene. Yard and... Shelley's spirit, or whatever you will, comes over and they kiss and reunited, and then we see the graves fully covered again. Yeah, that was that was a nice touch. It puts it puts them together for eternity, right. and it's the way yes. that it's supposed to be. Yes, and then the ending of the crow, the the crow in the ring in his mouth. The what was it? The uh, engagement ring. Yes, and he drops it in the. Uh, what was her name? The little girl, uh, Sarah. Sarah. I keep wanting to call her Shelly, but that's that was the fiance. Right. And he drops it in her hand. I, I thought that was a very in her little monologue there at the end. I thought that was a very nice ending to the whole thing. Yeah, she had a voiceover at the beginning and at the end, and I I thought that was a nice way to bookend it because yes. it allowed you knew she wasn't going to be killed or anything in the movie, so it, you were able to have the what happens to all these other characters, and then she's doing the the voiceover the intro voiceover because you need that in order 
to understand the movie, you need that at the beginning, and that was a really nice wrap-up at the end that she did. So I, yes. I enjoyed that. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought that was a very, very nice touch to it. You know, like you said, it wrapped everything up. It kind of bookended it. It was a nice conclusion to, the, to Eric's story, if you will. I don't know about you, but I ran out of notes. Yeah, that that was the, my last notes on that. Also, was okay. Well, about the ending. So I thought, you know, overall, I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, like we talked about earlier, it's not one that I have to sit down and rewatch every so often just to watch it. But if it's on, or if I if I think about watching it, it is a good movie. I enjoy watching it again. So yeah, I would say anyone anyone listening to this show, if you haven't seen it, check it out. You know, if if you've seen it and you don't, you know you don't like it, maybe give it another watch with fresh eyes. I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm just telling you, it's it's a decent movie. I'll do that. I'll try to change your mind. Oh, <laughs> if you don't like this movie, you're wrong. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, why don't we wrap it up there? And uh, why don't you tell the lovely people where they can find you on the internet? Well, I'm at my home at Head Speaks. Dot com. That's H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot com. That's my website. And from there, I have links to my uh, both my podcasts, as you mentioned earlier. There's uh, Head Speaks, where I talk about things that annoy me, geeky stuff, comic books, anything that catches my interest at the time. And then I have my Task Force X podcast, which I cover John Ostinger's Suicide Squad from the 80s, and also the sister comic Checkmate in all of their appearances. Uh, they're also both available on Stitcher and on iTunes, or you can watch, listen to them from my website. And they're both mostly monthly. <laughs> they're whenever you can get them out. Yeah, I try to do it monthly, but yeah, with you know family and a newborn and work and all this other stuff, it's mostly monthly. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, I would highly recommend checking both of those shows out. I never knew a lot about Task Force X as I said in the one email I wrote you, but right. listening to your shows, it's, well, obviously you started with Legends, I love Legends. Yeah, well, the first the first episode I covered, the, the original Task Force X back in the, uh, oh, what was it, the 50s or 60s with, uh, you know, it was more of a war story. Right. And I, I covered the first three issues, it was in The Brave and the Bold, 25 to 26 and 27, right before Justice League showed up, and I just couldn't get into those. So I, as on suggestions from uh, Shag Matthews, I went ahead and jumped ahead and started the Legends miniseries, which introduced the new Suicide Squad, written by John Ostender. Yeah, and I I'm enjoying listening to that because you do a character profile, you give us a, a nice synopsis of the books. It's it's really well done. Anyone who doesn't know a lot about Suicide Squad or Checkmate, check this show out. It is really worth your time. And hopefully in a few months here, I'll be getting up to where Checkmate chronologically came into being. And I'll probably be covering an issue of Suicide Squad and then an issue of Checkmate. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I remember Checkmate from the... can't remember exactly what, what time period it was, but when Amanda Waller was the White Queen. and they... oh, Okay, you're probably thinking the Ruckas. Yeah. Checkmate from the mid... To late 90s, or 90s, late uh, 2000s. Yes, yeah. I, I remember collecting those and reading those, and I really enjoyed it. So going back and finding out more about where it originally came from, I'm going to I'm gonna be waiting to hear that. Well, good, yeah. I, say, I, I like that Checkmate, but I don't think it was as good as uh, Paul Kuppenberg's Checkmate from the early 90s. Mm -hmm. 
it wasn't quite so... If I remember right, the, the one you're referring to had a lot more superhero elements to it. Yeah, because it was the rule of two, where they had, for each super-powered right. version, they had to have a non-powered version. Like So, like, if Amanda Waller was the White Queen, the Black Queen had to be super-powered. And that, right. that yes, was exactly. What's-Her-Face from the Batman books. Sasha, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, Sasha Bordeaux. Bordeaux, there you go. But, yeah, Bat, in the original Checkmate... It, uh, Suicide Squad handled the super super superhuman element of it, and Checkmate handled the more uh, mundane and human aspects of espionage. So they, they didn't quite have as many vil or superpowered uh, individuals as the series did. They were mostly just normal operatives in there. Right. So and then also uh, Harvey Bullock moved from Batman over to Checkmate for a while. That must have been weird. Before moving back to Batman, mm. so. <laughs> that, that was very but anyway we'll get, we'll get on at some point in the future yes but that's where I can be found alright yeah so definitely head on over to headspeaks.com and check out both those shows it it will be well worth your time as I said and thank you very much for coming on I, I had a blast this was fun thank you for having me I, I enjoy talk, I always enjoy talking about comics to somebody and I get get into pro- trouble because I'll be talking to somebody and I'll be going on and on I'm like I gotta get some work done. <laughs> well, in, in my office, people come to me. It's like, hey, have you seen the new Avengers trailer? <laughs> yeah, I have that part. Hey, Aaron, have you seen this? Have you seen the new Avengers? Have you seen this? When does this movie come? When does Avengers come out? When's Batman, the, the new Superman Batman movie coming out? <laughs> yeah, I, I usually tend to be the go-to person. Yeah, in my building for you know comic-related. Someone's got questions. They come and ask me about it. <laughs> like I'm trying to work, but now having said that, let's talk for a little. <laughs> well, since you bring it up, <laughs> exactly. So, hey, well, thank you again for having me, Gene. Yeah, it's it, it's been fun, and yeah, you know, we'll we will definitely get together again for something. Definitely, I'll have to have you on my show. Yeah, that that'd be a good time. Talk about so. All right, so we'll see you next time, everyone. Legends of the Superheroes is a production of TheHammerStrikes.com and focuses on examining live-action versions of superheroes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send an email to legends at TheHammerStrikes.com. Please look for The Hammer Strikes on Facebook and Google+. Part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.